The real purpose of the scientific method is to make sure nature hasn't misled you into thinking you know something you actually don't know. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm Nasreen Abdelmajid with my co-host Remya Amuthan, who will be joining us in just a couple of minutes. The quote of the week from today's episode that you heard right at the top of the show is from Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, an inquiry into values by Robert M. Persick. This book is an examination of how we live and how to live better, narrating while on a summer motorcycle trip from Minnesota to Northern California along with his son, Chris. Now, I read that Persig received 121 rejections before an editor finally accepted the book for publication. And he did so thinking it would never generate a profit. And now it's featured on bestseller lists for decades and sold at least 5 million copies worldwide. Talk about determination and believing in his work. I don't know. I mean, something about getting rejected 121 times makes me feel like I really do want to read or listen to this book. I, I wonder about you guys, but do you feel like when you hear about an author getting rejected that many times, do you say, oh my God, no, that's not for me. I don't want to waste my time. Or do you feel a bit curious and say, let's see what this author had to say? Because I'm, I'm, I'm pushing towards that angle. I don't know. That's just me talking. Now, let's have a glance at the CELA homepage, starting with the three featured titles at the very top. The Story of Us by Catherine Hernandez, LGBTQ plus fiction. Cobalt Red by Siddharth Kara, social issues. And In a Land Without Dogs, The Cats Learn to Bark by Jonathan Garfinkel. It's a historical fiction. On today's episode, Jeffrey Rainey, producer of the Living Blind podcast, is back with us to examine memoirs by competitive athletes who've penned the truth behind their experiences after leaving the game. Plus, we press pause or play on Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives by Siddharth Kara. This is AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. And it's time for a pause or play because we can't go too long without doing pause or play. We glanced over a few books from the Center for Equitable Library Access under the featured title section. And now, let's hit pause or play on one of those listens. This book is titled Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo powers our lives. It's written by Sitarath Kara, and let's get into what it's all about. Cobalt Red is the searing first ever expose of the toll taken on the people and environment of the Democratic Republic of the Congo by cobalt mining as told through the testimonies of the Congolese people themselves. Activist and researcher Sitarath Kara has traveled deep into cobalt territory to document the testimonies of the people living, working, and dying for cobalt. To uncover the truth, 
about brutal mining practices. Kara investigates militia-contained mining areas, traced the supply chain of child-mined cobalt from toxic pit to consumer-facing tech giants, and gathered shocking testimonies of people who endure intense suffering and even die mining cobalt. Cobalt is an essential component to every lithium-ion rechargeable battery made today. The batteries that power our smartphones, tablets, laptops, and electric vehicles. Roughly 75% of the world's cobalt is mined in the Congo, often by peasants and children in subhuman conditions. Billions of people in the world cannot conduct their daily lives without participating in the human rights and environmental catastrophe in the Congo. In this stark and crucial audiobook, Kara argues we must all care about what's happening in the Congo because we're all implicated. All right, that's a lot to take in. At least it was for me. So let's go around the table and find out who's hitting pause or play on this account. Nisreen, starting with you. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that was just too wordy and too long for me. So I would, I would click pause mm. for that nothing about the content that uh draws you in yet eh okay no no okay. not really i'm going over to jeff pause or play this one's tough because it's a story that i resonates the wrong word but i identify with this kind of um with this kind of tell-all what also hits home with me is the fact that mm-hmm. there's the dichotomy of the conditions to the, the just the <laughs> the dictatorship to to produce this. At the same time, we are screaming mm-hmm. over here in the West and uh, and beyond to have more cobalt. Like if you like the 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 yep. the, the, the domino effect is just huge. And we just kind of take it for granted that it's our right to get that. Exactly, right? There's somewhere in the middle this giant gaping hole in the system, or even to say mentally in our understanding of what happens. There's this huge disconnect. And that's what that was my first impression of this title. Just thinking, whoa, what are you talking about? Because it was absolutely. Um, interesting and it wasn't it like what is it just the synopsis right like we haven't even gotten into what's actually going on there but just the synopsis that made me think oh my goodness i am so uninformed and it's that aspect that makes me want to hit play on a book like this so did you decide whether you'd hit pause uh, or play? i mean it's a cop-up i'll probably pause for now only because my library's full but i would definitely read it mm. i mean just picture if these were virginia coal miners or coal miners up north yeah, no, that the, there's so much to be uh, unpacked, obviously, and I'm not sure what the writing style is or anything like that. You can't go off of uh, a sample here, but the content itself is very, very riveting and sad. My goodness. Okay, so if you yourself want to check it out, it is available on Sela library.ca c-e-l-a library.ca it's called cobalt red how the blood of the congo powers our lives by citrus kara and kara is k-a-r-a so available in human narrated audio for you now 
It's time for us to check in with an avid audiobook listener. We're opening up this space to review, discuss, recommend, browse, conceptualize, and reminisce on audiobooks. And last month, we conversed with Jeffrey Reaney, producer of the Living Blind podcast, available through um, your favorite podcast platform. And this is produced by Balance for Blind Adults. He's back for part two of our discussions on athlete memoirs slash biographies, where they take us and why they're taking us there. So, Jeff, it's obviously wonderful to have you back. We were hoping to get a part two with you, and it's nice that it's happening so quickly. Most of our discussion last month was around the title Racing to the Finish, My Story by Dale Earnhardt Jr., were there any further reflections? There's one other book we want to get into today, but any further reflections on that one to kick things off with, um, you know, just the headspace of where we were last month? Nothing comes to mind. I think we covered a lot in 25 minutes. Yeah, we definitely did. We definitely did. But really the um, concept like of this 2018 release was um, – this racer who was enduring concussions hiding them in order to not be perceived as you know damaged goods and uh the discussion was really around all the angles within that uh within concussion periods within our awareness of concussions within um who and who suffers through this and why and the cultural changes if any at all regarding concussions so that was great the other book that we're talking about today, in the same vein of this, athletes sharing their stories, coming out of things, and then doing a tell-all, uh, the bigger picture of the game, is Conflicted Scars, An Average Player's Journey to the NHL by Justin Davis. What impression did this book leave on you? Well, I first heard about it because Justin Davis himself was promoting this book on the current affairs program, The Agenda with Steve Pakin. And when I first saw the title... I think the title of the interview was along the lines of uh, lines of why hockey culture is broken. I immediately thought back to the Hockey Canada scandals that have been ongoing over the past, well, if you want to be technical over the past 20 plus years, but in the in the the mainstream over the past year or so. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was a continuation on that and it wasn't directly, but it was Justin Davis and his story. And I'd never heard of him before, but I do now. And what's it about, really, this book? It's about reflection. It's about, really, it's about improving the lives of future generations of hockey players in Canada. Um, And that is what, if anything, sets the tone for it. Because a lot of players are hesitant to write these types of stories in the first place because they don't. It's an uncomfortable reality to look at. But at the same time, when they have children of their own and they are aspiring athletes and they enroll them in little league, little league hockey, in, you know, in minor hockey, you know, juniors, and they drop them off at practice or they go to their games, mm-hmm. it just recalls that their own childhood again. And they start thinking, well, if that happened to me, could it happen to them? And if it could, then this isn't right um, because now it's something that you have to confront because it's happening to your own child. I mean, you can, it's easy to, it's, it's very easy to look your own to, to, uh, to put other people ahead of yourself. But in that case, that's what it is. Um, and because it's so embedded, it's a long unraveling chain. 
the mirroring effect, right? Like where you can see what has happened to you through the experience of somebody else doing it or having it happen to them? Yes. Okay. That's yes. an interesting way to explore what he was going through um, with the NHL and all of this stuff. So let's get into some of this. Want to talk about the bullying and some of the things that he brought up um, through that or some of the things that stuck with you in in terms of learning? There are a couple of big themes at play. One of them is, again, starting when you're very young, you are, one of the big things you'll hear a lot in these stories is hazing. And hazing is quite simply an mm-hmm. initiation. And actually, really, it's multiple stages of initiation that veteran players put rookies through or even rookies in the next level through for the first time because as far as those veterans were rookies at one point, and that's what happened to them, and and vice versa. It's generations. And all of this is happening and done in the form of team spirit. These are people you're going to be spending days with together, sharing locker rooms together, countless bus rides if you're lucky. You know, coaches are very lucky, airport rides if you make it big. And... It's, an, it's, it's a way of humbling people, if you want to say it. Like, there are no egos because everyone's drinking the same Kool-Aid. Wow. Unfortunately, that's sometimes quite literally. Um, but there's also a huge disconnect there in that the things that you're doing are really quite inappropriate. But seen through the hockey lens, the hockey world would see them as their world and everyone else as civilians. Civilians would find these things very unappealing in some cases against the law or just deme- or just domestically disturbing and they would just like oh look at them like they don't know any better like you know, what do they know this is this is how things are done when really if you just take an, if you look back and take an objective through them that's not what anyone's mm. supposed to do now you talk about how people who aren't in hockey might think oh my gosh like what is going on but is that necessarily true anymore, Jeff? Like, are we more aware of what has happened through the history of the game and um, understand that this is really inappropriate stuff? It's kind of like, I think of similarly as, as uh, sororities, right? Like, we know what happens through the grapevine, at least. Yes, I think now, especially, like, we're getting there. I mean... I'll just I'll just give an example straight from the book. If you saw someone walking naked through a food land with you know a jock strap maybe wrapped in a towel and they're buying something at the counter. That's a ritual. I mean, if you didn't know any better, that Oh my gosh. What's your Yes. Um Yes, I think that it's it's really which came first by this coming out then we know that it's that we know that it exists that deeply mm-hmm. in that system. And especially since, I mean, if you look at we're in the midst of the playoffs right now, actually, and how many people, how many Canadian people, you know, players are on these teams. And it's quite possible that a lot of them have gone through these very things themselves or are the descendants of people who have, but through the midst of their daily career, their daily grind, and in some cases their their stock um, and just the way they're perceived, 
have to keep it to themselves. Now that, you know, there is, I guess there's some peace of mind that it's being dealt with, but we have a long mm. way to go because this is, is, I mean, this is a sport that is so revered. There might also be an, an, an old guard sort of instinctive to sort of turn a blind eye depending on your vantage point. But for the most part, I mean, in a, in a, we, we are going in the right direction, but there's, still there's a lot more being exposed, but obviously there's a lot more to be exposed. And to be fixed. Mm, mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And then there's this theme of pressure. Um, the pressure of you need to be part of this culture. Now, does that come from the sense of I played hockey, so you played hockey? It comes, I mean, it yes. And it comes, and, and that can come from multiple sources. It can come from at the very early age, your parents, whether I played hockey and so you're going to play hockey um, that might mean I played hockey and wasn't good at it. You have raw talent and have the potential to be good at it. And Ooh. I can, you know, you can do all the things that I want to do and I'm going to get behind you that way. Or in terms of I've done it this way, you've done it this way. A lot mm-hmm. of times the people that are coaching you went through the same things you did. But also sometimes the coach might be the general manager. So if you have a complaint about something, if you go to the coach, well, guess what? He's the one calling the shots. Or if 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 you if he brings up like it's it's if uh, <laughs> the coach's job might be on the line, just as your career might be on the line if you dare to speak up. But also, yeah, I mean the the parental pressure is huge. The training nowadays is also huge as well. Like there's there are some people that put their their children through similar types of training that like. You know, established players in the major leagues, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the national leagues go through because they want to get their development quick. Everyone wants their kid to be the next Connor McDavid. And yes. Really, you're just a kid. You're getting exposed. Do you even like the game of hockey? There are other sports out oh. there you can also play recreationally. So it's a lot of time. It's also a lot of money, which then puts added pressures. I've spent this money, so now you've got to perform. And it just also comes from a child's uh, willing, you know, um, ultimate goal to please authority figures please your parents please your friends please your coaches oh my gosh so much mental health over here like in this part of the conversation because you're you're totally right there's all this pressure there's all this um bigger picture scenario like we're molding you into this because and you have no choice um and that kind of thing really scars you this whole book I feel like can be I'm not sure if um, the author actually put it this way or talked about it this way but you know his own experiences of this right like of him having to go through that and then spit out on the other end thinking oh my gosh like I didn't even necessarily want to be here because that's a big part of it there were definitely players who felt that in his case his parents were really uh, generous about like his his father for example would uh, so if, if if things were going well he would still sit in the stands and just sit by himself reading uh, reading a newspaper if things were going disastrously like if the team was getting scored upon if you're were not playing well he would just head out and let you sort things out and then you talk about things on the car ride home but there mm. are definitely players who do grow up in that sort of oh, toxic yeah. environment oh, yeah. at least he had some um some positive mentorship, I guess, to say the least. Absolutely. But there, the, I mean, there's also just the way of having all this stuff happen to you while you're on the road. 
Yeah, yeah. You don't want to tell your folks about that because, you know, it's it's like in school. If something happens on the playground, it's like, well, yes, this happened, but nothing's nothing has come out as a result of it. So let's just, you know, let's save face here. Yeah. What's good? What good is it going to be for me to go home and snitch anyway? That kind of mentality. Um, More about hockey culture. I'm very curious about this aspect of it because there are people who are in hockey now, right? Coaches, whoever, staff, um, that maybe were part of hockey for so long, for decades, that they're seeing the changes and experiencing how the game has changed in Canada. But are they down with the program? Like, we're seeing a lot of this, right, with Canada hockey at the moment. I think it's an individual thing. I think people who aren't are very easily discovered because they, if uh, chances are, if you're not, I mean, if you are not okay, you're not likely to change your actions. And if you're not like, if you're not going to change your action, that's going to come out very, very clearly, whether if it's within the dressing room, uh, whether if it's in the media, whether if it's, so, um, that's hard for me to say sort of either factually or with any kind of assertion, but I would assume, and, and more so, especially at the lower level, there's also, there is a disconnect with, uh, you know, parents and, uh, and, and players think that there is a disconnect. Sometimes general managers might not Mm -hmm. see it as that way. Everything's fine. And how about the impression of the game overall? Like when we're saying, you know, hockey in Canada is obviously changing. There's a lot more exposure to what has been going on that is unacceptable anymore and completely inappropriate. Uh, and we're trying to change all this. The people who may not agree with the changes, who are very stuck in the old school ways of what hockey was, and also the people who are brought into hockey because it's it's the, I don't know if it's the status quo to do that, but you know, there's nepotism everywhere, right? And this is a business after all. Mm-hmm. There's got to be some resistance of wh- why are we changing hockey? Yes. Um, sometimes if if you, I mean, in an extreme situation, if they are unwilling to change, if they think that the way things were done in the OHL back in 1996 is still the way to go in 2023, um I mean, good luck getting by that, first of all. Second of all, I think that's why you might see turnover. I mean, but also at the same time, talk to them. Ask them, um, what if, if they go seek help or if they talk to, to, to former, to, to uh, fellow fellow staffers, even some of their players, and and just take an objective look. And, and even, for example, um, put themselves in the position of a father figure and maybe ask like, was this stuff really for the good of the game? Did, Mm -hmm. did, did things that veterans did to rookies, did that improve their skill on the ice? Um, Or do, does your personality or skin color affect the way of your play? Or if you had a bad shift that night, does, being vindictive about it over the next 30 days is that going to change their is that going to is that really going to fix things or is the idea that get back out there and i mean there also is a bit of a uh of a uh 
a good player, bad player thing going on there too. But at the same time, not. I mean, sometimes you might have the best player in the world, but if they either aren't very cooperative or they look different, then they might be benched, even though it's a big detriment to your team. So mm-hmm. I think really just taking a step back and looking at how much of this is just uh, doctrine or even, I guess, if you want to say dogma, like how much of it yeah. is actually good for the game. And now, obviously, it's not good for business to do that. I mean, I mentioned this kind of thing in almost all contexts, any time, any conversation, and that is that there's resistance to change everywhere, right? And and sometimes it's rightfully so, you know, preserving tradition, whatever it may be. Um, and other times it's like we refuse to change because we refuse to see the other perspective. We refuse to see the toxicity of some of the systems that we've built up and clearly like just in the exposure of things going on with the nhl in the last year year and a half um there are a lot there's a lot in the crooks that we need to kind of air out and um reform and start over and especially if we're trying to still preserve the good side of hockey so there's a lot going on there Jeff, thank you so much for joining us for this. Um, This has been a really interesting discussion today and last month because we've stuck to kind of the same vein of things. Uh, People, you know, coming out with their stories around sports. Absolutely. I mean, we didn't even, there's still still more that we can solve. Oh my gosh, yeah. (laughs) But hey. We can solve ourselves. Pick up the book. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Pick up the book. Thank you for your time, Jeff. We will catch up for sure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. If you're into this kind of thing, I also uh, will plug our Kelly and Rumia book club. Change the Game is the book we're reading. It's a graphic novel memoir by Evel Ewing and Colin Kaepernick, released in 2023, available on Audible and on the Sela Library website. That's it for this episode of AMI Audiobook Review. Next week, we're chatting with Amir Khan to wrap up the month with him. I'm your host, Ramia Amadin, technical producer, Nisreen Abdel-Majid. And until next time, happy audiobook listening. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.